Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, Haynes Creek. It is good to be with you today. My name is Travis. I am the pastor here. If it's your first time, I just want to say a special welcome to you. Thanks for joining us today on this Sunday. We're thankful to have you here with us. If you could do me a huge favor, before you head home today, stop by our, our welcome table as you exit back in the hallway. It's just to your right. Uh, if you don't mind stopping by there, we have these, these little welcome cards. I'd love for you to fill one of those out. And then we have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands today as well. And, and that little card just gives me the opportunity to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you could do me that favor, I would really, really appreciate that. And uh, uh, today is a special Sunday. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. You guys are awesome. We love you. Thank you. Yes, it's okay to clap for the dads. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. It's all right to do that. Yeah, so thank you for being here. Happy Father's Day. Hope you get a nice afternoon of, of rest or whatever you want to do. Dads, it's your day. Have fun. Enjoy it. Uh, thanks for making this a part of, of your Father's Day as well. And we are, are in week three of our, of our current sermon series that we're doing this summer that we're calling Habits of Grace. And, and over this, the course of the summer, we just wanted to spend some time digging into this idea, this topic of spiritual disciplines. And that there's, there's no shortage of of, of disciplines out there and what these are. I mean, disciplines make it sounds like it's just this, this boring kind of rote thing that you just have to do and, and push through and, and get through. But, but really what they are are these avenues of God's grace. These are God's gifts, these, these opportunities, these means of drawing closer to Jesus. And in, in his love for us, he gives us many of these avenues to spend time with him, to foster a deeper relationship with him. So that's what we're spending our time this summer talking about. Last week, if you missed that, uh, we, we talked about reading the word, digging into scripture, reading it, studying it, understanding it, and applying it to our lives. That is so key. That is so important. As we said last week, it all, it all starts with scripture, right? That is, that is God's primary method of growing us as believers, of sanctifying us, of making us more like Jesus. So we started there, uh, and today we're going to continue into uh, another discipline. But before I get there, um, we, uh, my family and I, we, we officially moved into our new house this week. So we've been in the process of moving now for a couple of months, which is just the worst, right? Like anybody here that's like, I love moving, you're a crazy person, right? Nobody loves moving. It's terrible. It's awful. But it's, it's exciting too, and it's fun. And you, you get in a new house, and you get to, to make it your own. And, and anytime you go into a new house, like you, you just... There's just things that you change, right? There's just things that you want to add. There's things you want to do. There's things you want to change out. Or sometimes you're, you're forced to do that, right? Maybe you don't want to, but then stuff starts breaking and, and all that. And you got you to gotta go in there and change stuff. One of the things that we, we needed to change in this house, just because it was, it was outdated and, and starting to break and not really working properly, was a lot of the light fixtures. And, and another thing, our, our kids really like having ceiling fans in their rooms. So we wanted to add ceiling fans. So that was you know part of my task this week is to add some ceiling fans, which is you know it's just a lot of fun, right? It's, it's great. And I'm not super handy. So it's a chore for me. Some of you guys are like, oh, that would take me five minutes. Okay, well, five minutes is two hours for me, all right? Give me a break here. I'm, I'm trying. Um, so anyways, I, I start working on it, and I'm not, usually there's there's two types of people. Uh, there's there's a type of person who, when they see instructions for doing something, they equate that basically to the Bible. It's like, I have to follow these word for word, step by step, and you do that. And there's other people that take the instructions, and it's just suggestions, really. So you just toss those aside, and you're like, I'm just going to wing this and figure it out, right? That's what I've learned. There's two different types of people. Well, I'm usually the type that follows the instructions step by step. But 
with me, there's another issue, and my wife can vouch for this, that I'm not the most detailed person. So although I'm following the steps, I'm going to miss something because I'm not paying it, uh, as much attention as I probably should, and I'm not super detailed. So I'm going to miss a step. And no, no, matter, no matter what, it, it never fails that when I'm putting something together and installing something or doing something, I'll get like halfway through, and I'll realize, man, I missed a step at the beginning, and I'll have to kind of redo what I've already spent like an hour doing. It's, it's really frustrating, but it, I just can't seem to, to not do that. And that happened with putting a fan together. So I'm putting the fan up and I've got it, you know, the base, uh, the top of the fan really connected to the ceiling, all the wires connected, all that good stuff. It's ready to go. And then the next part is putting the blades up, which is really the most tedious part. I hate that part. And you're just like standing there like this doing it. And you got to get the, the screws lined up exactly. And it's kind of hard to tell because you're like, you know, I got to look through there and, and find all the stuff. And, and there was this, this orange metal plate on the base of the fan. And I thought, you know, okay, that, that just that's just how it came, right? It just came with this metal plate and that's just how it's going to look. And I guess the blades will cover it up because it's kind of ugly, but whatever. Who am I to question the makers of this fan, right? So I'm starting to try to line it up and put the blades on. I'm like, man, there, there's, there's not enough holes for these these five or six blades, however many they are, to, to go in here. I'm like, there's got to be something wrong. I've got to be doing something wrong. And sure enough, I missed a step, y'all. So I go back to the beginning. And one of the first things they say to do is take apart and, and take this orange thing off and then just throw it away. I'm like, well, why would you have that there if all I'm doing is taking it off and throwing it away? It's not for protection, right? There's a million pounds of styrofoam packed in these boxes to keep it all safe. That's, it's pointless, right? I was so frustrated. I'm like, why would you, this is just, to be like, to catch somebody like me and go, haha, now you got to redo some stuff. Good luck. You missed a step. Way to go. So anyways, this never fails. I always seem to just miss a step when I'm putting something together. Now that, that brings us to our, our message today. And no, I'm not talking about the discipline of ceiling fans, uh, but we are talking about a, a discipline in church that, that growing up, so I, I, grew, I don't know how many of you guys do this, but, but I grew up in church, right? It's like my, my dad was a pastor, been a pastor most of my life. So from the time I was born to today, like I have been in church most of my life and I got saved at an early age in middle school at the age of 11. And there was a lot of talk about, you know, you gotta have a quiet time, right? That, that's the word that was used. I don't know what was for you guys, if you were that age in church and youth group and stuff like that. But it was always, you got to have a quiet time, quiet time, quiet time, quiet time. And that's really just the phrase that we used for this, this personal devotional time where each day you would set aside a moment to spend with the Lord. And every time it was talked about having this, this quiet time and this personal devotional time, there were two things that came up. It was, it was scripture, the Bible, and prayer. And that was mentioned. You got, you got to read the Bible and you got to pray. You got to read the Bible, you got to pray. You got to read the Bible, you got to pray. There wasn't a ton of stuff put around that in terms of like, how do you actually do that effectively? But there was a missing step in my life that, that I found out years later that was this missing ingredient to my personal time with the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about today. And that missing step is meditation, biblical meditation. So that's where we're going today. We're going to talk about this, the spiritual discipline, the habit of biblical meditation. Now, maybe when I say meditation, you already think, okay, well, I know, I know what that is. I know what meditation means. We have this, this cultural, this worldly idea of meditation. As soon as I say that word, that's where your mind goes. I mean, that's, that how, that's how it is for me. When I first started digging into this topic years and years ago, I was like, okay, this just sounds like weird. Like, I don't, you know, when you think of meditation, you think like, okay, well, I've got to sit in this dark room by myself. I've got to, you know, you have to sit crisscross applesauce as my little kids call it. And I don't, I'll be 37 soon. I can barely do that right now. Like, I don't know about y'all, but like, that's a struggle. So I'm like, I don't really like it. you. Gotta, and you got to have your hands in a certain way. You just have to be really quiet. 
take deep breaths and then not think about anything, which is like almost impossible, right? Like you, the whole goal of, of this worldly idea of meditation is to empty your mind is to empty your mind and just focus on, on the here and now and not think about all the things you have going on. It's, it's to empty your mind. And you can Google and look up stuff, and there's a ton of stuff out there right now. Now they're calling it mindfulness, and I don't know if you guys have an Apple Watch like I do. There's this thing that buzzes once a day. It's like, do your mindfulness. I'm like, no, leave me alone. I don't want to do mindfulness. But really all that is, is deep breathing, okay? Like, that's, that's a fancy word for just take some deep breaths and try to calm down. Like, that's all mindfulness is. And that's the, the worldly concept of meditation. It's this idea of, of emptying your mind and not thinking about anything else. That's not what biblical meditation is. That's not the idea of biblical meditation. So uh, to, to start out our discussion, I want us to turn to a passage of scripture that talks about meditation. And it's one of the many places that does, and that is Psalm chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Psalms. There's 150 of them, and we're just going to deal with the first one today. So Psalms chapter 1, uh, we're going to read the whole thing. It's only six verses, so it's okay. I'm not going to take up too much of your time here, but, but Psalm chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and, and start reading. If you don't have your Bible, it's all good. We'll have the verses on the screen right here. We also have Bibles at our table. If you don't own one, please take one of those as our gift to you. So Psalm chapter 1 starts out this way in verse one. It says, how happy, or maybe your translation just says, blessed. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Now, maybe you've heard this psalm or you've read this psalm before. Maybe many times it's a very popular psalm. It's a very popular psalm on days like this, right? Father's Day, like, what does is, what is the righteous man look like? What's the definition of the righteous man? Well, we can, we can turn right here to Psalm chapter one and see what it looks like to be righteous. And that's exactly what this psalm is about. The, the author David most likely writes, if you want to be, live this blessed life, which really means to be, to be filled with joy, to, to have that kind of life, well, you don't follow the ways of the sinners. Right? You, don't, you, don't, you don't follow the ways of the world. You don't follow the ways of sin. You don't follow the ways of the wicked. Instead, you follow God and his ways. You follow Jesus and his word. That's what it looks like to be righteous. But there's this, there's this contrast here, right? So the, the righteous man does not follow the ways of the wicked. Instead, it says that he finds his delight in the Lord's instruction, in the word of God finds his delight in that. And that's what it means to live a, a righteous life and this, this joy-filled life. It's not finding joy and happiness and peace in the things of this world or in the, the ways of the culture and the ways of the wicked. No, it's found only in God and his ways. And it's interesting that the reason the righteous person finds his delight in God and his word is because of meditating on it day and night. So it's not just about, I, I, I'm, I want to live a righteous life. I want to follow God. It, it, it's finding delight in him. And the way we find delight is through meditation. It's through this idea of biblical meditation. 
And the author continues here that, that when we do that, this person, this righteous person who meditates on the Lord's instructions and meditates on his word and finds his delight in God, he's like a tree planted by water. He's not led astray by the world. He's not led astray by the wickedness of this culture. No, he finds his, his delight, his love, his sanctuary, his strength in the Lord. It's like the strong tree that's bearing fruit in its season and doing what it's supposed to be doing, right? That's the idea here that we're given. And in and, and the center, at the center of this righteous person, this righteous way of living is meditation, is biblical meditation. So to dig into this topic, we're going to keep it kind of high level and, and, and pretty basic and simple today. So we're going to answer three questions today for the rest of our time. So if you're taking notes, you can follow along, but we're going to answer what is biblical meditation? How do we meditate? And why should we meditate on scripture? So first question, what is biblical meditation? Let's get a definition and, and clearly see and grasp uh, what we, when we say that, what do we mean? Well, let's look at some places in scripture that this is mentioned. We, we read this verse last week, but it talks about this as well. Joshua 1a says, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and nights so that you may be carefully, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you, you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. So prospering in our relationship with Jesus, succeeding in our walk with Jesus is based on our meditation of scripture. Following God's instructions, walking in obedience to what he's called us to do is based on meditating on scripture day and night. Psalm 119, 15 through 16 says, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119, 48, I will lift up my hands to your commands, which I love and will meditate on your statutes. So we see throughout scripture, especially in the Old Testament, God calls his people to meditate on on him and his word calls us to do that. So, so what is that? What, what do they mean by that? Right? When we see this in scripture, what does that mean? Well, uh, Donald Whitney, who's a theologian, Bible scholar, writes a lot about, talks a lot about spiritual disciplines, has a great book on spiritual disciplines. He defines biblical meditation this way, deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in scripture for the purpose of understanding application and prayer. Read that again. Meditation is deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in scripture for the purposes of understanding application and prayer. It's deep thinking on Jesus and his word, on God and his ways. Again, it's not emptying your mind. It's filling your mind with the things of God. The late Tim Keller passed away recently, incredible pastor in Manhattan for years, wrote a bunch of books. Just I learned a lot from from him has this awesome book on prayer. If you are looking to grow in, in your prayer life, I'm going to talk about that next week, but, but I can't recommend his book on prayer is just, just incredible. I can't recommend that enough. He defines meditation this way. He says, meditation is thinking a truth out and then thinking a truth in until its ideas become big and sweet, moving and affecting, and until the reality of God is sensed upon the heart. So meditation is, is thinking a truth out, right? Like thinking, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? What are the implications of this truth that I'm seeing in scripture, these things that I'm learning about God? And then thinking it back into your heart, right? So that it sinks down, sinks down deep into your heart and then, and then affects the way that you live, right? Affects your emotions and your affections towards God, your love for him and your desire to walk in obedience to him. That's biblical meditation. 
So again, we see that this is, this is far different than what the world defines as meditation, what we typically think of when we think the word meditation. Again, it's not emptying your mind. It's not just sitting there deep breathing and trying to calm down and relax. No, it is filling your mind with the things of God, thinking deeply about Jesus and his word and the implications of what we're reading and studying. Philippians 4.8 puts it this way. Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy. What's that word? What's that word? What's that word? Dwell. Dwell. Dwell on these things. That's biblical meditation. What is biblical meditation? It's that. It's dwelling on God and the things of God and who he is and what he's done and the gospel and Jesus and, and all that we're seeing in scripture. That's biblical meditation. It's filling our minds with the things of God. And that's our goal, right? That's our goal. Through biblical meditation, our goal is to dwell on Jesus and his word to the point that it, that it sinks down deep into our heart and leads us to deeper faith and repentance, to greater obedience, to, to delighting in God, to being that righteous person that we see in Psalm chapter one. That's the goal of biblical meditation. So that's what it is. It's deep thinking about the things of God, about, about scripture. Okay, so now that we know, know what it is, when we say biblical meditation, we know what it's talking about. How do we actually do this? What are some practical ways we can, we can implement this spiritual discipline in our lives? Well, sadly, there, there's not a ton on biblical meditation out there these days. There, there's been more recently, I would say, stuff coming out on this topic. But And, and like I said, I, I grew up in church and I never once heard any sermon about this. Wasn't even really taught. Like I, I went to Bible school for my undergrad. I, I went to seminary. Like there, there's not really much talk about this spiritual discipline, which again is spoken of throughout scripture. Like we're called, commanded even to meditate on scriptures. You kind of have to go back a little bit in church history. And what you find when you go back a little bit is, man, this was talked about a lot. It was talked a lot about by the, by the early church fathers. It was talked a lot about by Martin Luther and the reformers. It's talked a lot. Like you want to read some stuff on meditation, just go back to the Puritans. Those guys talked about this all the time. It's a very common practice for them. So you, you have the Puritans, you have guys like, like John Owens writing a lot about it. Charles Spurgeon preaching and talking about it a lot. Like this was a very common thing that was talked about. So we got to kind of go, go back to, to some of that uh, for some of us if we're looking to learn more on this. And, and John Owens, talk, like I said, talks a lot about this. And, and he has what he, he calls, he refers to as the three stages of biblical meditation. I think they're, they're really helpful as we're trying to put a framework on what does this look like? How do I actually do this? How do I walk in obedience? So the three stages of biblical meditation for John Owens. The first one is fixing the mind is what he talk, called it. Fixing the mind. That's really what we've been talking about so far. It's, it's focusing on the truths of God. It's focusing and filling our minds with the things of Jesus and his word, right? Like it, it's, it's focusing on that. Again, we're not, we're not emptying our mind. We're not trying to, you know, block out everything that's going on. And we're filling our mind with the things of God, with the truths of God. So the first step is, is just that. It's, it's fixing our mind. It's focusing and thinking deeply about the things of God in the given text that we are in. So fixing the mind. The second step is what he calls inclining the heart. Inclining the heart. And what he means by this is, is now that you've focused on 
what we see in scripture. We're, we're fixing our mind. We're focusing. We're thinking deeply about God. What, what am I trying to accomplish during this time? Well, I'm trying to incline my heart towards those things. So what he means by this is, is you're thinking through that text and thinking through how can this text, how can this passage, how can this truth affect my life? What does it look like to walk in obedience to that particular command? What does this truth about God teach me about God? What does it reveal to me about God? What does it reveal about myself in light of that truth about God? So you're, you're trying to practically think through, okay, what, is, what does this actually mean? If I were to actually walk in obedience to what I see here, how does that affect my life right here, right now? It's trying to practically apply the scriptures. And look, that all starts in our heart, right? The way we walk in obedience is, is we, we have to learn about something, right? We have to acknowledge it with our mind. We have to believe it in our heart, and then we act it out in our daily lives. We walk in obedience to that. So our hearts need to be aligned to the truth if we're ever going to live out the ways that Jesus is calling us to live. So you, this idea of inclining the heart means you're processing through these truths. You're thinking about it in a way that leads towards applying it to your life. It leads towards change, right? It leads towards walking in repentance and in deeper faith and obedience to what we see. Look, if all we're doing, and this is what we talked about last week, if all we're doing is just filling our heads with knowledge, if we're just, when we read and we study scripture and we come on a Sunday, if all we're like, man, cool, I learned something new today. Never knew that before. Learned something new. That's cool. And then I go about my, my daily lives. That's not the purpose and that's not the goal, right? We don't want to just learn things. We do want to learn things, but we don't want to stop there. It's not just about filling our heads with knowledge. It's about becoming more like Jesus. That's the goal. And biblical meditation helps us with that. John Owen says that, that we should not settle for mere mental assent to doctrines about Jesus. We shouldn't settle for just, oh, I learned something new. No, we don't stop there. We keep going and say, okay, if I've learned that, what does that mean? How does that affect me? How do I live my life in light of that truth? Okay, that's what inclining the heart means here. And then his last step, um, you know, he's a, he's a Puritan and those guys write just, you know, there's like a thousand words for one sentence. So I, I tried to summarize his, his third step and it's really just respond as the Holy Spirit leads. Respond as the Holy Spirit leads you. So you fix your minds on the truths of God. You're focusing deeply. You're thinking about that. You're thinking through application steps and what does this mean for me? And then you respond as the Holy Spirit leads. So if the Holy Spirit is, is leading you towards, man, I'm reading scripture and, and as I'm thinking through and praying through this, the Lord's revealing this sin in my life. Well, what's the response? Repentance. Repentance and life change. Okay, Lord, forgive me and help me walk in obedience to you. Sometimes you're, you're just, you, you feel the weight of, man, Lord, I can't do this. I'm, I'm so dependent on you. And we're just reminded of that. And so our response is to cry out for help, to cry out to God, Lord, help me, lead me, guide me. Maybe it's just, you just need to take some time and just worship, right? Like you're seeing these truths of God and you're reminded of the beauty of the gospel and how much God has done for you. And you just need to, to stop. If John Owens tell you, just stop and spend some time just praising and worshiping and thanking God. So we respond as the Holy Spirit leads. And look, here's the thing. Like we're not always going to have this like skies parting and the sun comes down. And it's like, oh, like this amazing, just groundbreaking truth moment. Like that's not, that's not going to be every quiet time. That's not going to be every devotional time that we have. So what John Owens tells us is sometimes in those moments where it's like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what the response is. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe the response is to just go, Lord, help me, teach me. I don't, 
not understanding what I'm reading and, and I'm going to come back to it tomorrow, but Holy Spirit, would you, would you teach me, right? So that's, uh, those are some, uh, the three levels of meditation. So how can we practically incorporate this? What are some practical steps we can implement in our lives? So I just want to give you a few you know, tips, practical steps of, of how to actually meditate. So the first one is, is select your passage or verse. Select what you're actually going to, to meditate on. Uh, and, and here's what, what I, and we're, we're teaching this on Thursday nights at our Thursday night Bible study, how to read and study and understand your Bible. What, what I teach people when you, when you come to scripture, when you really want to dig into scripture, what I encourage people to do is, is pick, a, the book, pick a book of the Bible and go slowly through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That's how you're going to really get to know the word of God. It's not, you know, I'm reading this today and I'm jumping over here and I read that verse this week and this verse next week. And you're just kind of bouncing around, just kind of like popcorning all over the place. No, no, sit and be with a, with a book. So pick a, a book and then walk through that book slowly, read it slowly, study it slowly. So I encourage people break it down by sections and study it section by section by section. So when we want to meditate, let's say, you know, we're, we're reading through some book of the Bible, Philippians, and we're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to study, I'm going to meditate and think about uh, the first nine verses of, I'm just making stuff up off the top of my head. Y'all don't hold me to this. You're just going to focus on the first nine verses of chapter one in Philippians. I'm just going to spend my time thinking about that. So select your passage or, or maybe, maybe it's just one verse. And as you're reading whatever section you're in that day, you just, this one verse is just really hitting you. We'll spend some time just thinking deeply about that one verse. So that's the first step is, is just select what you're actually going to be meditating on. If you're, if you're studying a chapter or chapters at a time, that's going to be a little difficult. You don't want to take that big of a chunk, right? You want to make it a little bit smaller and focus more intently on a, on a smaller section. Okay, hopefully that makes sense. So select your passage and then spend a few moments focusing on that. Exactly what we see in scripture, exactly what John Owens calls us to is, is fix your mind on those things. Think, spend, just spend a few moments really focusing on the passage, thinking through that passage, and, and just trying to center your mind on that. And one of the ways that, that I do this that, that's really helpful, really simply, just keep reading it. Like read it over and over and over again. Read it slowly. Right? Some of y'all are speed readers and you're just like, boom, done. On to the next thing. No, no, no. Slow down. Slow down, read it slowly, and then read it again, and then read it again, and read it again. For me, at least, the, the repetition of that, it's not monotonous, but the more I read it, the second, the third, the fourth time I'm reading, I'm like, oh, I didn't notice that word. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, I didn't notice that connection. So just, just slow down and center your mind on what we see here in that passage. And a couple of ways to, to help with this. One, pray through that passage, pray through it. So if we were to use Psalm 1 as an example, as you know, you're studying Psalm 1, can we put the, the first verse back on the screens there? So if we were praying through this passage, we could start out, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. We, we could stop there and go, Lord, show me the ways that I'm walking in counsel with and in advice to the ways of this world. Show me where I've, I've stepped outside of your ways and I've, and I've chased after the things of this world. Lord, reveal that heart. Or maybe you already know and you're like, Lord, forgive me, man. Like, I, I don't want to do this, right? I don't want to go down this road, but I keep feeling drawn to that. Lord, would you, would you help me? Would you lead me back to you? Instead, he, his delight is in the Lord's instructions. Lord, would you show me what it looks like to find delight in your word and your instruction? 
Lord, would you, would you help me be like a tree planted beside flowing streams? Would you help me bear fruit, Lord? So we, we pray through the passage, right? It's kind of like inserting yourself into that and going, okay, like if I were to replace the he's with, with Travis or whatever it is, you know, like insert yourself into that passage, into that section of scripture and, and pray through it. Pray through it. Another way to do it is, is to read through the text in different ways. One of the things you can do is, is just emphasize a different word or phrase each time you read it. So again, we could go back to, to Psalm 1, how, how happy, and we could just stop there, how happy or, or blessed, right? If that's the word that you see, I'm like, what does that mean? What does that actually mean? Because with this translation, when we say happy, we usually mean one thing. Again, that, that's not what scripture means when it says happy or, or blessed, right? Again, it's this, it's this life filled with joy that isn't stripped away based on the circumstances of what we're walking through. So we could stop there. How happy? Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to have a, a joy-filled life? Let me keep reading. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked? Well, what, what does it mean to walk in the advice of the wicked? What, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? How, how do I do that? How do I listen to the ways of the world? How do I listen to the culture more than I do Jesus and his word? Right? So you can see how, how just slowing down and focusing on different aspects of just a single verse. Man, you could think about those kind of things for a long time. That could take you down a, a long rabbit trail of practical application. So again, it's just, it's fixing our mind on what we see here and thinking through what does this actually mean? Slowing down enough to spend time in it. Another helpful step is, is paraphrasing. And, you know, paraphrasing, you're not going to, um, don't do this, but you don't want to hold that, your paraphrase to equal scripture and translation, right? So it's not that you're, you know, coming up with new scripture words. Like, no, 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 you're just trying to think through, okay, well, how can I, how can I better understand this? You know, that's, that's what I do a lot in preparing a sermon. Like, okay, we see what the text says. Okay, well, what does that actually mean? How can I put that in plain terms for, for me to understand, right? If I was reading this the first time, what, what does that actually mean? And what does that actually look like? Paraphrasing can help you think through that in a different way. So there's just some practical ways to incorporate meditation into your personal devotional time. And look, remember the whole point of this? The whole point of this is to think deeper on the text, to think deeper and to fill your mind with the things of God, with the ways of God. It's to, to give yourself time to see the truths of God in a, in a deeper or different way. To give space and time for the Lord to, to speak to you and to reveal things to you and to guide you and to lead you. That's the whole point of this. Filling your mind with God, right? That's, that's what biblical meditation is. So, so we've got what it is, we've got how to do it, and, and now let me give you some reasons on, on why we should do it. Why should we incorporate biblical meditation beyond the fact that God commands us to, right? Like that should be enough, but it's, that's not always enough for us, including myself, so uh, no shame there. But what are some other reasons why we should incorporate this? Why does it matter? Why is this something that, that I, as your pastor, am, am encouraging you to do on a regular basis? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons why you should incorporate this. But first, before I do that, the main reason, I think one of the more important reasons is because I've seen it work in my own life. I've seen it work and, and be powerful in my own life. Again, I told you, like, I was saved at an early age, the age of 11, I'll be 37 in a couple of weeks. So I got saved at an early age. I've been a Christian for a long time, been in church my whole life. 
And, you know, early on, when you get saved early, at least for me as an 11 year old, you know, you only can grasp so much, right? Like it was just, it was very surface level at that age for me. Some of y'all are a lot smarter and you're like, man, I was, I was like understanding reformed theology and reading John Calvin at the age of 12. Well, congratulations. You're super smart way to go. Keep doing that. For me, it, w- it wasn't like it took a little bit longer. So by the time I got to going into my senior year of high school, that was where a, a big jump spiritually happened in my life. I mean, I just had this hunger and this desire to spend time in the word and prayer. And, and that carried me for a while. And I really think that God used that time in my life to call me into ministry and set me on the path that I'm on today. But there's a period in my life about 10, 12 years ago where, man, it was just, it was just a little stale, right? I was just feeling a little dry spiritually, a little weak spiritually. Uh, I'd, I'd gotten hired on staff to be a pastor. It was my first full-time pastoring job at that time. My wife and I had gotten remarried or gotten married at the time. I can't believe I said that. I'm tired, y'all. Uh, we got married Married, yes, we were young at that age, 23 and 21. We got married. I got hired a couple years later to be a pastor. We were trying to have kids at this time. We, we had gone there. I told you guys this a while ago. We, we'd gone through our first uh, of what would be two miscarriages. And I was just in this rough place spiritually. And I was trying to read the Bible. I was trying to pray. And it was just like, I don't know. Okay, God, like, I, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't know. There wasn't this, this hunger. There wasn't this desire. There was no, there's no drive to get into scripture. And so I was trying everything, y'all. Like, I was, I was even going back, and those that know me know I have some personal opinions about like devotional books, but I was even trying that, man. I was trying anything and everything just to, just to spark that flame again, just to reignite that flame. And I started doing research and, and reading more about, and walking through this kind of spiritual valley. And what do you do to get out of that? And I started to go down this path of meditation. Again, I, you know, you kind of go back further and further. And you see, man, they, they talk a lot about meditation. And you go back and these, these verses that you memorize as, as a teenager, like Joshua 1.8 and Joshua 1.9, right? Like you, you memorize those things. You're like, oh, that, that word meditate is in there. But I never actually stopped to think about what that actually meant or did any kind of research as, as to what that actually means. And so the more I started doing that, the more I found like, man, a lot of these, these reformers and church fathers, they attributed their growth in the Lord to this practice of biblical meditation. So the more I started to incorporate that, I sort of shifted around my personal devotional time. I would always start with prayer and then I'd, and then I'd read and it was just kind of like my mind was all over the place at the prayer time. And then by the time I was reading, I was just kind of like, I'm just ready to be done and move on to the next thing. No, I, I reversed that. So my practice now is, is study scripture, read scripture, meditate, prayer. And man, that changed everything for me. This idea of meditating and spending more time soaking in the word of God. And yes, it means that I go through things really slow. Like I told our our class on Thursday, I've been almost two years in the book of Revelation, right? It took me two years to go through the book of Luke. I'm not saying you got to go through it that slowly, but that's what this practice led me to. It's just slowing down and soaking in scripture. And man, that reignited the flame of my heart, that reignited my love and my passion for God. And it led me out of a really dark place spiritually. So why am I encouraging you to do this? Because it it works. Because the Lord uses this practice to mold us and shape us and guide us and change our lives. But let me give you three other benefits and, and reasons to do this beyond just my own personal story. So the first one, why should we meditate? It's because meditation helps you focus on the word and what God wants to teach you. Meditation helps you focus on the word and what God wants to teach you. Like I've been saying, when, when you meditate on scripture, 
it forces you to slow down. Forces you to slow down. And in this fast-paced, instant gratification culture, y'all, we need that. We need that. Like that, that's a lot of reasons why, why I struggle with some of the personal devotional books that are out there is because they, they make it quick and easy. And that, that's nice for a season. That's nice for a certain time. That's beneficial, especially if you're a new believer. Absolutely. But what you can do with that is, boom, I can read one verse. I can read a couple paragraphs that somebody wrote and boom, I've got my Bible. I've got my application. And now I can move on to prayer, pray for a few minutes and move on about my day. It makes it really easy, instant access, instant gratification, which can, can't be good in a season. But we can't live off of that, y'all. That can't sustain us for very long. We need more than that. And look, if you, if you got into the Christian walk, hoping for some instant gratification, I got some bad news for you. That is not how God works. He does work. Sometimes there are these like instant moments and these, these like really amazing seasons of spiritual growth. But what Jesus does is man, it's what Eugene Peterson calls the long obedience in the same direction. That's what the Christian life is. It's long obedience in the same direction. It's this day in, day out, walking with Jesus, this slow growth. I mean, if you look back to yesterday, you might not see much growth, but if you could rewind 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, God, man, look at, what, look at what God did. Look at what God has done in that time. So it's not about instant gratification and meditating helps us slow down. Read this last week, but I'm going to read it again. Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the word of God is living and effective, or living and active, and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that's exactly what God does in his word, right? He pierces our hearts and our souls. He exposes everything about us. But here's the thing, y'all. That takes time. That takes time. That takes patience. That takes slowing down and giving God the room that he desires to work in our hearts, to speak to us, to teach us, to mold us, shape us, and guide us into the people that he wants us to be. So meditation helps us slow down and give God the space to speak to us. So meditation helps you focus on the word and what God wants to teach you. Second thing, meditation helps lead to heart change, right? That's the other thing we've been talking about. If we're thinking deeply about the things of God, if we're spending our time focusing on that and, and focusing on what it means for me, then, then it's going to lead to application. It's going to lead to repentance. It's going to lead towards deeper faith. It's going to lead towards heart and life change. We need this step, right? That, that's what God calls us to do. The point of studying scripture, reading scripture is to sanctify us. It's to make us more like Jesus. Meditation helps that process. Because again, we, we slow down. We think through it in different ways. We see things in different ways and deeper ways. And it gives us time to, to actually process and think, what does this actually mean? And how can I live in light of what I'm reading? So it helps us lead to heart change, to life change. It not only gives us a deeper understanding of God's word, but it gives us a deeper understanding of ourselves and how we're to live for Jesus right here, right now. And the third reason, and, and we'll end here today, is meditation fosters a deeper love for God. It fosters a deeper love for God. 
I want to go back to Psalm 119, Psalm 119, and this is uh, the longest psalm in, in the book of Psalms, longest chapter in your Bible. There are 176 verses, and it's all about David responding in praise and worship and adoration of Jesus and God and his word. It's David who has sat at the feet of Jesus and, and, and sat at the feet of God and, and, and sees him and who he is and what he's done and how great and glorious and awesome him and his word are. And this Psalm is just a response to that. So 176 verses. I hope you guys have strapped in ready to go. I'm just kidding. I'm just going to read the first 16. It's okay. Scared something off for a minute there. Let me just read a few of these again. And, and, and as I'm reading, I want you to think, what is David saying? What is he writing? What is he responding to? And why is he responding in the way that he is? He says, how happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I've sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. Just think about that for a second. What is David saying there? And all the riches of the world, he rejoices more in God and his law and his word more than all the riches of the world. That's crazy. That's awesome. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And look, it goes on and on and on. You could keep reading this and seeing just how much David loves God. And how that love for God, that worship, that praise and gratitude to God, it is tied to his word. It's tied to, to his law, his statutes, his precepts. That's the word. When David says those words, he's talking about your Bible. His love for God is tied to his love for the word and his practice of meditation. So when we meditate on the word of God, it leads us to a deeper love for God. And that makes sense, right? Because we're, we're, we're spending more time thinking and focusing on God, thinking about who he is and all that he's done for us and all of his attributes and all of his character and all the things he does and, and the gospel and where we're seeing God and his word in, in different and in deeper ways and where we're seeing how he's, how he's just bringing things out of our heart and our lives and we're, we're being shown, man, this is what it looks like to walk in obedience to this and we're, and we're taking those steps and we're, and we're seeing growth. How could that not lead you to a deeper love? It's all connected. It's all tied to this. Thomas Watson said this, said meditation is the bellows of the affections. Meditation is the bellows of the affections. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't know what bellows was. Anybody here know what bellows are? Just raise your hand. Yeah, 
Got some nodding. Y'all are smart back there. I didn't know what bellows were. Bellows are those little accordion flapper things that they would use to, to, to get a fire to really grow and strengthen. So you'd take that and the flame was kind of dying down. You'd, you'd squeeze that little thing in that little accordion handle and, and it would blow air and it would, it would increase the strength and the heat and the flame of the fire. Well, Thomas Watson just told us if we want to, to stroke the flame of the affections of God, of our love for God, meditation is how we do that. Meditation is the bellows of the affections. So look, if you're here and you're like I was a few years ago, or you're just, man, I'm, I'm just in a, I'm, I'm in a dark valley, Travis, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling the love of God, right? Like, I'm, you know, when I read the word, it's just like, oh, yeah, so, okay. And I move on. Or maybe you're spiritually worn down and you're, you're just tired. Or you feel like you're going through the motions. You're like, yeah, I show up to serve, right? I show up for church, but like, I don't, you know, I don't really want to be here. I'm only showing up because if I don't, you know, pastor's going to text me and be like, hey, where were you? I don't really do that. If I text you, it means that I, I, I missed you and I, and I wish you were here. But it's like, ah, I'm, just, I'm just going to go, right? Or I'm just reading because I'm supposed to. Or I'm just, you know, I'm praying because I'm supposed to. And it's just, I, I feel like I got nothing. I feel cold. I feel distant. And if, if, if that's you, if that's you, I, I truly believe that one of the best remedies for that, it's meditation. It's meditating and soaking in the word of God, thinking deeply on the word. Again, Thomas Watson says this about meditation. He says, the reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. The reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Church, let us, let us be a people that warms ourselves at the fire of meditation, at the fire of Jesus and his word. And if that flame is dwindling down, break out the bellows of meditation. Strengthen that fire. Strengthen your love of God through soaking in his word spending time meditating on Jesus and his word and his ways, his gospel, his truths. Let that just, just wash over us and lead us back to Jesus. Talk about this last week, that, that how the Lord draws us closer to him, it's through this. It's through spending time with him and his word. You want a closer relationship with Jesus? You want a more, more intimate relationship with Jesus? This is the avenue for that spending time with him and his word and, and warming ourselves at the fire of meditation. Church, let us be that people. Let us be that church. We pray for us and we're going to enter into this time of worship and communion. So if you're here and you are a believer, put your faith and trust in Jesus. This, this time is for you. We do it every single Sunday where after the sermon, we, we had this time of response and we sing and we worship, but in that response, we, we have time for communion. Time to, to just sit and do what we were talking about, where you just sit and you think and you dwell on God. So it's a believer in the room. In a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to say amen. Johnny and the band are going to come back up here and lead us in worship. But I just want to encourage you just just sit. Just sit for a moment at least and just think about God. Spend some time, you know, responding as, as the Holy Spirit leads, as John Owen calls us to. Maybe that's worship. Maybe that's repentance. 
Maybe that, that's going and, and dealing with something in, in an issue right now, right? Like go and, and make a phone call to apologize or repent to somebody that you've, you've sinned against. You know, whatever it is, whatever the Holy Spirit's leading you to do, respond. And then as your hearts are ready, as you are prepared, we go to either side of the room at these tables. We, we take the bread, we take the cup, we eat and we drink and we remember what Jesus has done for us. We remember his grace and his mercy and his salvation that he alone provides. So I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna enter into this season of this time of response and prayer and communion. Jesus, we love you. Lord, I thank you for who you are and all that you've done, Lord. Jesus, would you, would you give us a heart and a desire for you, Lord? That the flame is going down, Lord. Would you, would you give a little spark today? Would you give a little spark and, and ignite that flame, Lord? you give us a a renewed passion and desire and love for you? Would you lead us to walk in obedience to your word? And and that includes this time, Lord, that we we carve out each and every day where we just, we spend some time with you. I know we talked about last week, Lord, sometimes it's just just a quick dip in the waters of scripture. Other times it's a long soak. Lord, would you lead us to that? Would you use this time of, of personal devotion, Lord, of reading your word, of meditating scripture to, to make us into the righteous person that we see in Psalm 1. So Jesus, we love you. We ask all of this in your powerful name. Amen.